Welcome, everybody, to Mormons on Mushrooms. Uh, just a reminder that this is a storytelling podcast where we discuss alternative methods for healing from trauma and seeking a more fulfilling life. A lot of times on the podcast, we discuss triggering topics, and we ask that you make your personal mental health top priority. Uh, lastly, the opinions offered by our guests don't necessarily reflect the opinions of the hosts. Sit back, buckle up, and enjoy. Party on, Wayne. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, yeah, though, so, man, it, conversations with Cole are just some of the all-time greats, aren't they? She's a force of nature, man. She is a force <laughs> of nature. It's like, whoa. Yeah. yeah. She's articulate. She's wise. She, she knows a lot of shit. Like I had said in the recording, and I'll just repeat it right now, like I wish I could just take, download, like link into her brain and like let it just like sink into my my brain. It's amazing too, huh? It's like, I, like, I can't wait for this recording to come out. Like, because I want to listen to it because you know how Cole gets, she'll just start, she'll start telling us about like program stuff and about coaching stuff and things that they're working on. And she'll say, are you checking in with your B's, your body, your, your breath and your, and I'm like, wait, what are the three B's? And then she goes on to the next thing. She's like, you got to do this, this, and this. And I want to make sure you have plan, plan. And I'm like, okay, first of all, you have way too much knowledge that you just sort of rattle off without even taking a goddamn breath. Second of all, can I hang out with you all the time, please? Like that's, oh, that's yeah, what I yeah. think when I, when I, when we chat with Cole. Yeah. And uh, this is one, I think we probably talk least in this one of any of our episodes. Yeah. I mean, and I think uh, the listeners will be like, I am here for it. And just like, let Cole just run this. Cause she, um, like I said, there, there's just so much there and, and a lot of experience. I think she was talking about, she's had, maybe I'm getting this wrong, like 16 years of working with yeah. plant medicine and uh, psychedelics. And then just the work that she and, and Ta um, are doing, um, you know, I was able to go to Austin and uh, to, to like a training program they were putting together and they just had, it was the same kind of thing. It was three dr- days of just like nonstop gems of information. Just, just drinking like downloading from a fire hose, right? You're just downloading yeah. all that from a fire hose. Yeah. She's cool. And so um, she's, yeah, she's, um, uh, uh, we'll be here the week of Mormon Palooza and the Utah Psychedelic Symposium. So that's the last week of March. I say here is in Utah. <laughs> we're, yeah, we're, neither of us are here. <laughs> <laughs> but she will be, we will be there on April yeah. 1st and March 31st. But like, yeah. um, we'll do a little shindig Mar- the night, Friday night, March 31st. We'll do a little shindig. And then Saturday that day is going to be the Mormon Palooza slash Mormon Psychedelic Summit. That'll be cool. But uh, there's, you know, few things that I will plug so enthusiastically on this podcast that I think if you sign up, um, we'll put all the links, you know, she talks about them in the show and we'll put all the links in the show notes to sh- sign up for that training she's doing. It is going to be worth your time. It's just going to be an awesome yeah. deal. Um, yeah. There's, there's a couple of things that we all get into in this one that, you know, we, we do our regular uh, disclaimer in front of the, in front of the episode, but um, that, that, that holds true uh, for this conversation. There's, there's a, there's a moment when we, we kind of get talking about like different, um, like dosage kind of things. Like, you know, people, you know, people get into like this manograms, this manograms, like when it comes to psilocybin, um, we, we recommend working with your, uh, healthcare professional or therapist or, 
uh, shaman or friends or, or whoever it might be, you know, keep in mind that set and setting uh, remain key and crucial. And it's not a contest. There's not an amount of like, there's not a dosage that is like makes you some kind of like better at doing um, uh, psilocybin mushrooms. So it, 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 everyone it doesn't, it, it really doesn't matter um, the dosage. It matters the integration and the uh, personal uh, connection and experience. Yeah. And I just, those, I just be careful, be, be wise, be smart, be careful. And, um, um, and then another thing I want to bring up is she has taught, we do talk about psychosis and how she's, uh, she talks about how she's worked with people with psychosis. And, you know, we do the the disclaimer on this podcast that not all the opinions of the guests match our opinions. Um, and, and this one I just want to be careful with as well. Like if you are experiencing episodes of psychosis, like we are very pro mental health providers in care. And, yeah. um, and yeah. so, and, and, yeah. and, and, and Ta and Cole are uh, really good and they, and they, they've got a, a ton of experience with working with people and they know sort of like, um, you know, I- I exactly how to listen and, 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 and how to give, um, you know, action, the, the, the action that people can take right now. However, we can't, I think in good conscience say that should be that your, 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 your top, if you're, if you're having a, a, a mental health crisis, if you're having, uh, if you're experiencing or know someone who's experiencing, uh, those types of symptoms, please, uh, get the, the proper treatment and, and medical care that, that they need. Absolutely. But in other words, buckle up though, because in other gonna... words, buckle up this one. <laughs> I mean, this one is, it, it's a, it's, we, we go all over the place on this one and, and she's got yeah. stories to tell, man. I mean, she, we're, she's singing like there's there uh, buckle up folks. You're going to really, really love this one. Oh, I've, yeah, I've got about this thing. It's been a couple of days since we recorded it and yeah. oh my God, this is so good. I can't wait to re-listen to it. <laughs> so fun. Yeah. All um, right. Well, love you, buddy. Enjoy everybody. Bye. Bye. heard us talking already around the campfire. Open yeah. the door that they're not sure if they're not sure if they're happy they did, but they can't leave. Yeah, what's happening over here? It's just like uh, we got we're 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 chatting about like our buttholes being clenched. Anything else? It's like <laughs> yeah. Narnia, you just start opening doors and you just don't know where you're going to end God, up. Dude, that's like the third Narnia thing I've heard today. Well, actually, what? like, well, do y'all see that thing where um, one of the Kardashians was wearing like a lion head kind of deal uh, <laughs> at Paris Week? Fashion no, week. I, I am so it. bad at telling this story because I don't know anything about it. <laughs> Did you? Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Like no an Aslan head or what? Like a like. So, um, one of the Kardashians, yeah, went to Paris Fashion Week and is wearing like a full blown like black dress with a lion head, like a full blown lion head on it, like Whoa. like a like a lion's head, like a big old head. <laughs> so, like like a head. Yeah. And she's sitting next to um, Doja Cat, who is head to toe in red paint and crystals. I did see that situation. Okay, that you way, saw that. But- she's sitting next to Doja Cat. There's a there's the- a woman named Doja Cat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's like a rapper or a musician. Whoa. I don't know. Whatever. Damn, my I'm- my daughter loves her. I don't know. Anyway, so they're sitting at the thing, and out comes this model, and the model is wearing the exact same outfit that the Kardashian gal is wearing like lion head, full blown lion head. 
Did you see like a poison dart come off the side of the stage? Because I feel like if you came out in the same outfit as a Kardashian, that there's like hitmen for that. Right? Yeah. You got to be like, she shouldn't have even gone past the little curtain or whatever, right? <laughs> like She shouldn't have even made it that far. There's got to be a way for me to find, and there's, there's like a chat. I can drop a picture of this. It's fucking funny. <laughs> I mean, I think we need to put on the show notes when we release this thing, but like- We uh, have to, right? I mean, do you walk out? I feel like at that point you walk out on stage just in straight, Seriously, I think I think Homegirl was like nervous. Cole, like literally, I think Homegirl was nervous about that dart that you just mentioned. <laughs> For sure. I would, yeah. I would be like pulling my collar up a little bit tighter, waiting for any like- just kind of, uh, uh, for sure. Same. There's got to be like Kardashian assailants for wearing the same outfit. I, I think that's a pretty severe cardinal sin. Oh my gosh. I It's funny. I wish I was like better at the internet. I would find it. <laughs> you know what? I I think find you are the worst troll ever, Doug. You are fired from trolling. Well, that's because I don't know how to do any of this shit. Like, I got Well, if yeah. anyone ever says like, you know, that troll Doug, I'll be like, it wasn't Doug, dude. Yeah, I, I promise you guys he's going I, under a nom de plume because it wasn't Doug. Yeah. <laughs> Cole, welcome back, girl. This has been- Thank you. <laughs> Quite a welcome. Yeah. <laughs> so what you been up to the last couple of years since the listeners last heard of you? You know, the same thing and all different things. When we, well, I feel like I- yeah. When I came on the show last time, I was just barely out of a 10 gram experience, which was a thing. And yeah. I, I truly yeah. could tell you that it's taken me this long to fully understand that ceremony. So when I talk about integration and anyone that follows me on Instagram or online, I've got a big poster behind my head. Everything is integrations, not optional, but how you integrate is. And so, you know, integration in psychedelics is like this term everybody uses, but I don't think most people know how to apply it. And so that experience, I mean, I, we could do a whole episode on a 10 gram experience, but you know, typically people will say a hero's dose is five to seven grams. I don't ascribe to any of that because one to call it heroic, I think calls in a totally different energy. Cause then you have to, if you're going to be a hero, then you have to face an adversary for one. So if set and setting matters and my mindset says that I'm going in to be a hero one, then I have to create a villain. I have to create an adversary. And so I didn't ascribe to that going into it. And a lot of shaman facilitators I've worked with, it's not uncommon for them to be working 20 to 50 grams. And so just to give context. So for me, in in comparison, 10 grams is just when you're starting to get to know mushrooms. Okay. So usually if someone says four to seven grams is a hero's dose, they're probably white. That's all I'm going to say. Or they're less yeah. melanated. They're very, um, very white. And like, uh, <laughs> but before you go into it, I do like how, how you're talking about the heroic dose because, I mean, in a recent episode, we were actually talking about uh, a little bit of, around a paper I just wrote for school talking about honoring the ecology between worlds, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, oh, yeah. when we're going into the unconscious, checking that attitude that we have of like, Oh, I'm going to go conquer. I'm going to bring my mighty hero sword and go and swing it around and see what happens down there. Um, but like, yeah, no, we need to like approach it with more of like an honoring the, the ecology of that space, the ecosystem of that space. And I love, I love what you're talking about right now. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. If I'm going into it because I need to be a hero, 
then it's not, I'm actually going in with my ego, like fully packed. I'm like, let me bring the whole thing. Come on, guys. Let me have every age of my ego pop into my backpack and let's go together. What could possibly go wrong, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, and I also find that in the communities that I've worked with, worked in, learned from, they don't ascribe to it being heroic. It's because less isn't less heroic or more noble or less noble. So if you're creating a hierarchy all, already, then that means less is not as heroic either because then you are automatically creating a polarity or like a contradiction. And so if seven is a lot, then one isn't, which means I'm not a hero. So we're unconsciously telling ourselves something else, right? And so I'm always looking to expand my understandings of language because, well, because why not? I mean, been here almost 40 years and I plan to stay another hundred. So what else am I going to do for another hundred years? Right. Well, I, yeah, I kind of love the, I, I kind of love the way of frame it too, because like also in this space, there is sort of like a, like this dirty underbelly of like, like a contest, like, like, totally. like, like the comparison kind of vibe, you know? Yep. And I don't, I don't think, I don't think a ton of people really consciously go into it, like trying to like, trying to impress one another. I, I think they're, is, is some of that to some degree of like trying to like, oh, here's the amount I did. Well, I'd rather hear more about the experience that you had. And then did you take lessons from it? And are you like, what kind of ways are you challenging yourself? And how are you integrating? I mean, you know, I know you, I know that maybe integration is a, is a buzzword or whatever, but it, it also to me really is about, okay, what's your relationship with your ego, the self, God, the consciousness, all the type of, all the buzzwords and shit that we use in this kind of world. Like, because I've, I've met, I've met plenty of people who have done shitloads of whatever doses and stuff like that, but also they're total douchebag. And it's like, well, I, I kind of feel like maybe you're missing the point and it's not my role or, or place to say that you're missing the point, but mm-hmm. also you just give me kind of a, a skeevy vibe and I'd rather maybe come over here and see what these homies over here are doing type of thing. You know what I'm saying? Totally. Well, and this is where like pulling it back to intention, what do you like? So when we talk about intention, um, it's what do you want to know, do, be, or understand. So you could go in with the intention of, I just want to understand something different. I don't have anything specific, but my intention is to go in open. That's the intention. And so if I dial it back to what do I want to know, do, be, or understand, if I want to improve the relationships in my life, but I keep doing so much that I'm just getting sent to other dimensions, I'm bypassing what actually needs to happen in the 3D. And then I'm more likely to create an attachment to escaping 3D because I get significance from meeting the, you know, Palladians on the fourth moon of wherever. But then I come back and I still can't have that conversation with my partner, with my mom with my close friends and relationships. And so at some point, I don't care what beings and entities you've come across. If at the grocery store, someone cuts you off and you still lose your shit, you yeah, have not learned how to even hold your and energy. Who fucking cares about yeah. your relationship with interdimensional beings, right? <laughs> well, guess what? My belief is that after this, you're going to have lots of time for that. So that's my personal belief. So if I have an infinite amount of possibilities of connecting to other realms after I'm not in this third dimensional density body, then great. I, I will find that that time in that space. But though these substances don't create a physical addiction, I have watched them create a significance addiction that, well, I can only channel and do light language. If you're not learning those skills outside of the psychedelic experience, you're kind of missing it. That's to introduce the frequency and then you have to practice and you have to be seen and you have to allow it. And so it's like, it can, 
help you gain access. But at the end of the day, there's reasons why some cultures, like say the Saka people up in Arctic Siberia, don't work with psychedelic medicines. They use song. And I will tell you, as someone who has taken vocal lessons, um, anyone on Instagram, follow Snow Raven of uh, Alux. Incredible. Bird noises, beatboxing with reindeer sounds, insane. And their music is the medicine. That's how they access it. It's crazy. Oh, you're talking to the right two motherfuckers if you're talking about the music is the medicine. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if you're not following Snow Raven, you are denying yourself the greatest gift to humanity on this planet. Well, I've been denying myself for 42 years, but only only to prepare myself for for this this moment. moment, Right. uh, But I was just reading in a book, uh, it's called His Master, uh, The Master and His Emissary. about language and how, you know, his argument is that music was the first language that humans, before we communicated in a more like, I guess, a rational, rationalistic type of language, we communicated through sounds and music. And so that's why, you know, the Ikaros in like uh, ayahuasca ceremony are the medicine in that way. Like you're, you're communicating that medicine at like a more primal spot in our and our brains and our psyches and our bodies mm-hmm. than traditional just language can reach. I mean, that's how language started. Just people started to agree that like meant one thing versus shit, right? And so this is where it, then we just kept extending it into other language. But that was part of what fascinated me the most with my lessons with Snow Raven was she was telling me like through the song for the Saka people, if there's the high range from high to low, it's because they're from a mountain region. So they're mimicking the landscape where they're from. And so as she does what she calls Arctic beatbox, it's literally the sound of a reindeer when it's running. And I can't do it. So you'll have to go. That's something I haven't learned. But learning... Like my face and my throat would be sore after my sessions with her because you have to use so many more muscles for their language than English. She's like, English is very lazy for the face and for the throat. And so she'd make a noise and I'd try to do it and she'd be like, no. And I'd be like, like this? She'd be like, no. And I'd be like, I swear that's what I'm doing, right? (laughs) But it's because the nuance of their language is so much more specific to the meaning that as they developed their songs, if it was less um, note changes, it's because they were a plane, like from the plains. If it went up high and down low, it's because when they would ride animals, the beats that they would get, and then the landscape of where it was from was how the music was formed. So she could hear a medicine song in sight. Well, it's, now it's called Siberia, but of the Saka people and know what village they came from because the song they sang would reflect the landscape which was like my favorite thing to learn. So I good. I'm captivated by this right now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you so could bad. just keep telling this story and I'd be like, this works for me. Yeah. The thing is like, like I'll give you a little taste of one of the medicine. It's not a medicine song. It's a song of her people that is approved to be sung publicly. And so this is part of all of my teachers around the world have mimicked the same thing as far as there's certain things they believe are meant to be gifted for all people to elevate humanity. And then there are certain songs that are kept for different ceremonies that are not meant for public consumption. And so the songs that she taught me, and is, and I'm going to start lessons with her again, are literally to be shared 
to change the frequency of the planet because the word shaman comes from her area of the world, the actual term shaman. And there, they're saying that they've had, they're having more shamans being born now than they ever have. And in her culture, a child starts to exhibit signs of shamanism around three. And then at some time before the age of like 16, they have a near death experience and all these, but they start showing signs around three years old, but they don't work with power plants in the way that as far as psychedelic ones, Hmm. they're, they're already more integrated with nature. So they don't need things to access that consciousness. Hmm. But if you see her on Instagram, it's crazy. So see if I can do it, not warmed up. So one of the things she taught, for example, she teaches me in Saka and then she tells me to add English. And so like one of them, because to integrate it, to speak my language, to integrate with hers, right? That's the, the gift. And so one of them would be like, um, J Bo J Bo Life is beautiful. When you let the light. So for her, that's integration. Whoa, hold up. Don't, don't, don't. Just hold up a second. Let's, let let's take a pause and a breath for that. The yeah. other, they Thank use tones back in their throat. So it's like. Alaska. <laughs> There, there, and then turning it into rhythm. So it's like, there, there. Holy shit. So uh, we don't have, we're not a, we are, we are not a visual medium. So for those who are listening, Cole is making that little, that, that, um, yeah, that, that tapping sound that you can hear, that, that rhythmic sound that you can hear. She is making, it looks like you're sucking in, she's making it with her mouth. Mm-hmm. And the reason Mike and I are, quietly just like not able to know what to say here is because we're watching and trying to figure out how this shit is happening. (laughs) Man. Wow. Thank you for that, Cole. Yeah. You know, this is the beauty though. Psychedelics and these master teachers teach us one way to access. And I'm a student of this planet. And so I've traveled all over the world to work with different villages from the Huni Kuin to working with her to, I mean, I, I love it because for me, they're all access points. And now, especially now that I'm really working in psychedelic integration and I'm not facilitating, then how I'm facilitating now is through song. And so me, my husband, Ta, our friend, Corey James, like Corey, he's been running um, freestyling ciphers in New York City underground for like 20 years. And so now since he got into this work, he started doing soul cipher, soul cipher. So it's freestyle battles with conscious music, but they're freestyling. Incredible. So now we're talking about how we're in like part of my next, I think I'll say quote unquote medicine for me, it's connection is music and bringing in more hip hop into conscious music because of the grounding energy and to bring more voices into the space. And Mm -hmm. so like for Corey James, I did one of his workshops and then me, him and Ta, 
Um, there's someone named Aubrey Marcus. That's a, if you listen to his podcast, it's a great podcast. Yeah, he went and did a, like a somatic sound thing for Corey or for, um, Aubrey's fit for service event. And between it's called soul ciphering music, me singing plus TRE, which is a somatic modality called, if you go to traumaprevention.com, you can read about it. And people there were having as impactful and psychedelic of experiences because once you learn how to create that container, there's other ways to get there. And so I have had people ever since then that were just like, that was as profound as any psychedelic experience because music, Ikoros, can get you there once you know the access point, once you've experienced that frequency, right? Mm-hmm. And so now the last time I sat with ayahuasca was with Marley Tume, who is known as the mother of the Huni Kuin. She's like the woman leader. And the only, at least when I last saw her in the summer, the only recognized Paige, which is shaman basically in the Brazil, that was a woman. Um, patriarchal systems took over in the jungle as well. And so a lot of women in the jungle are denied practicing with ayahuasca or other magic um, because of that. And so she's the only woman that's been recognized for her power and she runs her ayahuasca circles with her kids. That's who sings with her and who sits with us. And so that after doing all this music exploration, the last time I sat with her, I sang every Ikaro the entire night, even though I hadn't heard her songs before because it just comes through. And it was the first time I recognized that music isn't only something that I'm offering people, but that it is a necessary channel of clearing for me to be healthy, that that's actually how I move energy. It's not only the song, it's the movement of energy and breath and like the pushing. It's like a lymphatic system type of a thing where the only way some energy can move through me is in its fullest expression of my voice in song. And so that's kind of like my exploration now. And I grew up doing music, so this isn't new. I mean, I grew up Mormon. You have to sing. It's a talent. God gave it to you, so you have to. (laughs) Now I get to. You're not hiding it under a bushel anymore, for sure. We have this... we have this homegirl or sister, friend, whatever you want to call her, that um, her her music is 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 her medicine, and, and she's she's deeply steeped in the uh, in the traditional Icaros. Um, I I sat and watched her. It's so funny the way you're talking about that, Cole, because I sat and watched her um, recently. Uh, she she was singing some of the traditional stuff, and then she started singing something that was brand new, something mm-hmm. that was like just flowing through her. And, you know, as you were sort of like uh, visually indicating sort of the way that that thing was, was flowing through you, I watched as she used her hands in a, in this really cool way. Like she's, she's part of, I don't know if I can say her name, but if you're out there, girl, I love you. And you know who you're talking about, but like, love you too. Yeah. She's using her hands to block those other entities and energies uh, that are coming through in different musical forms. And she's just this one pure and clear channel that's like singing this thing that none of us have ever heard that she's never heard before. Mm -hmm. That is like the most beautiful thing in the history of the world. Like, but, 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 but she's, she has to come to that prepare. It's not like she just like 
wandered in off the street and was a little tuned up and was like, oh, but I learned to sing when I was young, so I know how to do this shit. No, she's like tapped in. Like she is mm-hmm. in there with it. That's kind of like what you're talking about. I think like you're, you're saying that this shit's coming through you, but also you're doing, you're, you're, you're spending time with these uh, villages, with these, with these uh, shaman uh men and women, women mostly, I prefer, by the way, women as shaman probably should be like the law. For me, it's the, I don't want to, I don't want to get into a, in a, into an awkward sexual situation. And so I very much seek out uh, females that are holding space and, and, and doing the shamanistic stuff because um, there's less danger, the potential for danger uh, surrounding us. You know what I mean? Especially if you have uh, multiple women who are trained and schooled in not just the traditional stuff, but also in being able to listen and allow that to um, like sort of channel and flow through them. It creates a situation that somebody can't put down on like a, like an album and release on Spotify. It's like a thing that well, is like in the moment. Yes. Really. And I'm seeing that change too, actually. There's a, there's a band called tribe of love. Highly mm-hmm. recommend if you haven't checked them out. And the woman who has written a lot of those songs um, has a botanical farm in upstate New York called Ravencrest. And she'll go into a ceremony, have something channel through, but she will remember it and be able to go record it. And she has songs like from her bees, from her beehive. She has songs of dragons and people will hear it in ceremony, but she'll be able to come back and maintain it. And they'll be like, no, legit. She sang it in ceremony and then they, we got back and then she recorded it. And for I, and I think that has more to do with the musicianship that she has a way to format it in her brain that if, unless you had that composer ability, we just don't, we can't transpose it to hold it. But like right now, so many things are changing from how they were to like when I look, I've been in this work for 16 years and I look at how it's changed in the last three years is so different. My And I've had to face all my judgments of how I think it should be done, under what context, and how long someone should train and not train. All of my beliefs have been confronted and flipped on their head. And all of my experiences the last three years have been like, actually, you don't get to choose and nobody else gets to choose. No one gets to hold the keys. We know what we're doing. If you're going to say that you trust these power plants and master teachers, then trust. Follow your heart. Get out of your head because your head is making that decision, not your heart. And so then that was what shifted because Ta and I were facilitating full time. I haven't done anything but facilitation since 2016 is when I stopped doing fitness training too, because I was also a personal trainer. And the thing was, is in this last three years, everything, I mean, the world's a different place than it was three years ago. And what's crazy is my 10 gram experience literally showed me that Ta and I had to stop what we were doing and All I was told was people are hearing the call. You have to train as many people as possible for the next two years. It was obvious. It was 10 hours of a journey. It was not that simple, but I'm taking one chunk. And for those that aren't familiar, there's someone named Baba Kalinde Ee. He's known for high dosing mushrooms. 50 grams was his highest before he passed. And that's only because that's all he could consume. Not because he couldn't do more. And part of my journey, he came to me in my journey, and this is after he had passed. 
and gave me very specific dates. And then last September at our last um, coach training, a guy came who studied directly under him as a mycologist, his mycology student on mushrooms. And I was telling him about this journey and he's like, he just went, and he goes, he's here. He's like, you don't understand, Cole. Every date you just gave me, he told me before he died, that was a year ago. And now you're saying two years, which is, he told me three. So now with what you're telling me, it's the same alignment as what he said. And then the other friend that their cohorts, he's an astrologist. He pulled the chart of the, of my journey. He does like inception charts, just like having a baby has an astrology chart, a business being born has an astrology chart. And so he pulled the chart of the, I knew what hour I went in for this journey and how I set my altar and all this stuff. And he pulled my charts and explained how my charts from that journey created where we are. And everything that's happened in our business has been in perfect alignment to that journey and the astrology that I followed through intuition that now is just backed up by a, a lot of other woo-woo concepts that I'm all about. I'm like, show me all the things. I'm here for it. But it's stuff that we never knew each other before. And w- as we sat and went through this, he was just like, this is crazy. Like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I was like, like hmm. crazy. One of one of the main themes, I'm just loving all this because it's tying so well into the integration that Doug and I have been doing with Siri and Rumamosa. Because one in that ceremony, and we'll talk about it in a future podcast uh, more in detail that night, but it was just enchanting space with just these musicians that were channeling music. And it was the first time I've heard light language channeled in a ceremony. And I was like, holy shit, what is happening right now? And then I had a moment, in, especially in the first night, which, what you were talking about, where first I started crying and then I felt like I needed to purge. And then a voice was kind of saying, oh yeah, you can do that if you want to, but it's energy figure out what you want to do with it. And so then I would get up and sing. And as I would sing that energy, so both nights I sang, I I never purged. I just sang both nights. Not that there's anything wrong with purging. Sometimes it's, there's a time and place for (laughs) it. Yeah, easy there, cowboy. (laughs) (laughs) Some of us purge like crazy. In other words, I win, Doug, and you lose, I think is what we're saying. (laughs) And that is the title of the show. Hashtag Mike wins. Mike wins, Doug loses. loses. (laughs) Cole presides. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> game set match there we go um but um oh what i, I kind of lost my train of thought sorry there. you were you you saying and you saying energy. beautifully like you you were tapped into that thing is kind of where you were i think um talking about you singing and and people also like the musicians in that setting like allowing that to flow through yeah, them. yeah. and then the other thing point i wanted to make which is tying in so beautifully to this is one of the main themes of that weekend for me was just slow the fuck down, Mike. Like, don't try to like, the more you try to rush and make things happen, you're just make, you're just like, just be, just like be in this presence. Not, that doesn't mean don't do things, but that action comes from a deeper place. You know, when the action's coming from a more of like a nervous energy or like a, an energy of just trying to make things happen because you don't feel like you're, you're scared or you're, uh, it's coming from a different place than that energy that comes from that deep part of you that kind of sits and waits and observes observes and just kind of goes at its own, that, that pace, mm-hmm. it's just a different pace, a different rhythm. And maybe that goes into the music and feeling the rhythm and like, Hey, let's get back to the rhythm of the earth here of mama Gaia. Right. And it's a, it's a slow, steady drum, you know, and that like, 
Yeah, don't don't rush it. And I love how you're talking about what's happened in these last couple of years. Because two years ago, I caught this like nervous or not nervous, this excited energy of a psychedelic renaissance or whatever. I know I was very new new to this. The podcast was pretty new. We'd only been going for a few months. And just like, holy shit, guys, we're all waking up in this and trying to make things happen. And now it's like, okay, sure, it's happening, but just calm the fuck down. You yeah. Know? <laughs> I know. Look, I said the same thing 16 years ago. So, and you know, my mentor is <laughs> 50 years ago. But this is this is the thing is at the end of the day, there's never not an awakening of some sort. It's that things change. And if you look at, in fact, there was a recent episode with Tony Robbins on my friend Rob Dial's podcast, incredible podcast about some of the rhythms in the, from the United States in the last hundred years, 150 years and the rhythms that it follows. And one of the things that they talk about is that we've been in a winter and for our generation, we haven't really faced any tumultuous, crazy things. COVID's kind of the craziest thing. But as far as war and all of that, there hasn't been a tremendous amount in contrast to our parents and our grandparents, especially our grandparents. World War II, if they, you know, depending on how old your grandparents were. And so the thing is, what, when you get more awakenings, it's caused the most by traumatic circumstances and desperation. People are like, my stuff's not working anymore. Praying isn't doing it. I don't trust it. I've lost faith. I, whatever it is, they're, they seek out of inspiration or desperation, but desperation drives action faster. And so the last two years with COVID, suddenly people couldn't escape their spouse, right? They're home full-time. So if they worked 60 hours a week, now they couldn't avoid the relationships that were not functional. If they hated their job, they finally had a good enough excuse to get out. If it was uncomfortable to be home, if they'd been thinking that that job was secure, then they're suddenly gone. Oh, well then let me see what else I can do. And so we have this massive opportunity because of all of the desperation, there are just as many people inspired to change because they have hit rock bottom. I don't believe you ever fall from grace. I believe you fall into it. And when you hit that, there's only one place to look and that's up and inside to go, well, what now? Right. And it wasn't until I was desperate enough that there was nowhere else to turn that I was open to working with psychedelics. I had the indoctrinations. I had been doing substances in my teens, ended up in a coma. Then I was Miss Utah teen speaking at all the high schools and colleges. And Governor Levitt gave me a day of recognition for all of my work in spreading the news about the dangers of club drugs. So there is a lot that had to shift. What was it? I hit rock bottom in a new way that was physical health. And when your health is to the point where you can't get out of bed, that's when you're willing to do anything because nothing is worth living for in that amount of pain. Emotional pain sucks. Physical pain, you lose all purpose. Emotional pain, I can still be attached to the suffering enough to stay. Physical pain is when I feel like I can't take anymore. And so I had fibromyalgia, endometriosis. My spine had a 40-degree curve from muscular scoliosis, migraines, hypothyroidism, like all of these things that made it not, oh, not okay to be in my body. So then I would drink, take Ambien, trying to sleep, couldn't sleep in a marriage that wasn't functional. And so that physical health crash was when 
I truly fell into grace for the first time because there was nothing left. Like for me, when someone refuses to believe that they can find purpose again, it's because they haven't hit rock bottom yet. They can still Hmm. look down because they're still afraid how far they could fall. So they haven't actually hit it. And so for me, it's as I've evolved my perspective, it's also changed my compassion for where people are. And that if someone's only had two journeys and they feel like they're called to be a facilitator, fine. But it's also knowing that just like when someone makes the decision to become a doctor, then they start their study. They don't start their practice. And so this is where I think the the opportunity is. And it's also where I realized I did not want to train facilitators because I felt that when people would train with me and Ta, they would train for a little bit and then think they had everything that they need and stop being a student. The second you stop being a student is for me when you're not about the work anymore. And so I've staying in curiosity If you've only had two journeys and your friend decides they want to sit and they feel safest with you, you're probably the most qualified for the job because their level of safety with you is so that they can go within themselves. So regardless of whether it's a shaman or doctor of 50 years experience, if someone has medical trauma, they're not going to a ketamine clinic without having detrimental consequences, probably because they already have fear. They're going in with fear. Their body already knows the smells of clinics. So ketamine might not be the way. And this is why for me now, it's like the most important work that we can do is get clear in what we know, what we can support, in what ways, and clear in where our boundaries are. Mm. You know, because I used to think how everything should be And then I've had opportunity after opportunity to question everything that I know and get reminded, I don't know shit. And so to to stay in the curiosity, to stay in the, hmm, I wonder, to stay in um, continuing to learn. That's why I travel to go learn from other types of healers and other elders because they teach me something else about drumming on my body to talk to my body about using song and sound to connect so that now, like there's a woman named Marin Azoff that teaches people how to connect their chakras through voice. Because if you're having thyroid issues, throat issues, infections, teeth issues, we would call that a throat chakra blockage of some sort. Either someone can't create, they can't communicate their creativity or they don't feel like they're heard or they don't feel like they have someone they can express to, or they're actually not allowed to express. And so that gets blocked, especially around eight years old. And then in 20s-ish is when people start to look to open this up in that Mercury returns kind of, uh, or Saturn returns period around 30, Mm -hmm. 28 to 32. And so as you start to open that, your physical diseases resolve once the body has gotten you the message and translating it. But how would have I, how would have I, well, I guess I had to figure all mine out or I decided to. And so as I exhaustively searched, then it was like, I have to tell everyone <laughs> like your hypothyroidism is not just a family trait. Your back pain is not just because you run a lot, right? Your 
genetic expression, one person has cancer in your family and another doesn't. Why if you have the same genes? For me, translating the language of our body is that, just like song. It's got this language. It's trying to communicate, and there's only one way in that sensation. And so when I'm sorry, I started- Sorry, it, it cut out. It's, it's mm. what? Sensation. Sensation. Okay. Everything is a cue. Now, it might be a cue. I walked too long yesterday. That's a cue. Or if suddenly an old knee injury that hasn't bothered me in five years suddenly starts to hurt and it's my right knee, then I, my question to myself now is what am I hesitant to step into? Because it's right side, masculine, action, and forward. So if my chronic condition starts to hurt, then I'm going, hmm, I'm going to track it for a couple days and I'm going to track my thoughts. I call it a state assessment, S-T-A-T-E. What's my situation? What's my thought about my situation? What are my actions as a result of what I'm thinking about a situation? What is it causing me to do or not do? The other T, triangle, am I a victim, a villain, or a victor? This is just data collection. And then S-T-A-T-E, emotion, How? what's the overarching emotion of this? That helps me start to see what's going on in my internal landscape and how it's outwardly expressing in my body. And since I started doing that, I've been off all medications since 2009. I haven't had a laparoscopy or problems with my uh, endometriosis that I haven't had any problems with since 2011. And now when there's aches and pains, I'm asking different questions. It's not like, oh man, man, my, my back, I've got such a bad back. No, I'm asking what's going on with the structure of my family dynamics because back is structure. Lower back is usually family. Middle back for me is money. Where am I not feeling financially supported, right? But until I started to map that, I didn't have the language. So just like in Icaros, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever sounds, that's one way of communication. But the body is the vehicle of experience in the moment of now. And so if you even pay attention to the change in sensation after you sing, then you start to recognize, oh, well, it needs to move, right? There was energy that needed to move, which mm-hmm. is why I was feeling stagnant. The mind can go to the past and to the future. The spirit can travel space and time. The body's only ever in the now. So if you think about the future, I know when I'm getting future focused because I, dro- I start dropping things and tripping over things because I'm not in my body in the present moment. So I'm like tripping to catch up to my mm-hmm. thought of the future. And when it's the past, it tends to be in my back behind me. And so the more I started to look at it as my ancestry is commune and my guides and my spirit animals and my associations to other realms. When I started to go, they're all working through my body to communicate to me because I, sh- I share the cells and the rearticulations of this planet through every animal I've eaten, every plant I've consumed, every glass of water, my parents and the 2000 ancestors or 4000 is something. If you just go back like 10 generations, it's some crazy number. And so I was like, I actually have access to infinite information if I'll listen to my body 
to lead the way. And so then I started to journey and talk to my cells. I talked to my blood. I talked to my bones. I talked to my teeth. I talked to my face and literally started to connect in such a deep way that now if I pick up food, my body will go, "Mm -mm." and it has nothing to do with healthy or not. This also includes, I could pick up a cigarette and enjoy a cigarette to no end because I, my, I've made agreements with my body of cues. I was able to remove good or bad in all ways. The deal is we pause, I ask, I call it the three Ps. I pause, pull back, and take a physical scan. I'm checking in and getting consent. If we're all in, then there is no good or bad. Alcohol, cigarettes, whatever. But that includes eggs and anything that would be perceived as healthy. Cole, I feel like we need a slideshow as you talk about this. So we can. I like, know, like we gotta slow this thing down. Like <laughs> I do have. Well, I, I, I honestly have like forty-seven questions that we've just sort of blown through. And also, the one thing I want to say is, um, a cigarette sounds quite amazing right now. Um, <laughs> How are you doing so, with the nicotine, Cole, Doug? <laughs> yeah, Cole, you don't know this, but like I'm on, um, like literally today is day. Hold up. I thought I had the right number of days, but now I got to check. Yeah, man. Today's day 45 of uh, zero nicotine in my life. All right. And and that is and that is a result from the Syrian room mimosa thing that Mike's talking about. Like I've always thought that kind of sh- stuff was kind of a little bit bullshit. But then like mm-hmm. when I was in it, it was like, dude, you're kind of poisoning yourself with this nicotine, man. Like there's, just chillax a little bit. Like the body, like speaking of communicating with the body, my body was like, I think maybe we could slow down here a little bit on some of this stuff. And uh, I've, I feel like I've done a pretty good job. I've told listeners I would keep them updated if I, you know, cold turkey and all that kind of stuff. But honestly, just now when you were kind of talking about how a, a cigarette could be okay, like I'm sitting here going, I feel like a cigarette sounds pretty fucking good right now. Like I, I know that I know that I know the cost of eggs is really high. So I don't want to get people like, like craving eggs. And I don't want people feeling like any kind of way about booze or eggs or candy or sugar or anything like that. But like, if you're with me, like a cigarette sounds pretty fucking dope right now. So I mean, look, when I started to look at every decision in my life as either putting me in alignment to the things that I desire and that I want, or it's taking me out of alignment, and then how far it changed my decisions. So I don't know the last time I had a cigarette. I couldn't tell you. But that's, this is the other thing. When, when you're still counting, you're still in deficit versus focusing on what you want I am and still it simply doesn't fit that, and it's okay. Yeah. The thing yeah. was, what I recognized was my belief that nicotine or tobacco or anything was bad was a conditioning because truthfully, what kills more people is not nicotine nor tobacco, even in excess. And so, well- And even alcohol, I wouldn't, I still wouldn't say that it's the alcohol that kills people. It's the trauma that causes them to buffer. It causes them to overuse. And then the result of that. And so, but that's, you know, that's a different conversation. And so what I started to do, the reason I, I stopped smoking daily was because at that point I had new fitness goals and I could feel that I didn't have the lung capacity that I could have if I was not smoking. And so it was the going back to my intention. There were other goals that took priority. So I never said, I never quit smoking, never. And so I've never had to count the days because I'm not a, I don't consider myself a smoker any more than I consider myself a porn star or anything else because I recorded it once. Well, 
I didn't sell it, so I don't know if that actually qualifies. But regardless, <laughs> different podcast. We'll and have so, a link in the show notes. It's cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and for only, for only five dollars a month on our Patreon, you yeah. Patreon subscribers. <laughs> <laughs> Only fans only. We're um, going to go from like five Patreons to like a hundred overnight. That's going to be great. I mean, <laughs> honestly, like maybe 500. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, not at all. And so, but this is the thing is tobacco is also a master teacher plant. And what I found was that the reason I actually am unlike most people in that I started to love tobacco more. So much so that unless I could give it my full presence, I would not insult it with a fragment of only my attention when it deserves my full attention if I'm going to sit with it. No different than ayahuasca or otherwise. And so what changed for me initially is I recognized that tobacco was saved my life at certain times in my life. It was the only breath I could take. And so instead of going to the toxicity, I went to the gift and I actually wrote a whole letter to tobacco, like it, like a person thanking it for all the days I was alone. When I felt no one was there, tobacco was tobacco was there to hold me so that I could feel so that I didn't give up so that I didn't kill myself. So I could take a break from the job I hated or get out of the house of a relationship that wasn't functional. And then I said, all right, tobacco, now I want to grow with you versus die together. And so I got live tobacco plants to put in my house. So when I wanted to connect with tobacco, we did it as we grew together instead of when we were both dying. And so that shifted that relationship to where now, if I do feel compelled or that aligns for whatever reason, I won't sit and talk to someone. It's like, no, excuse me. I need to go speak to tobacco. We haven't seen Uh each other in so long. We must not be disturbed. (laughs) And I fully slow down and feel every pull and feel it in my lungs and connect to it like an old friend. And so in changing what drives it, anytime I feel a need, it doesn't matter if it's um, caffeine, sugar, anything. I ask if there is, well, for one thing, if there's a need, then it's a no because I'm trying to fill something. I am, there's something I am hungry for, starving for that has nothing to do with the substance, whether it's food, chips, sugar, because I don't, I'm not more healthy eating just massive bags of chips than I was smoking cigarettes. I assure you, not in how I feel, not in how my body functions for me. And so it's taking the step back to say, what am I trying to fill within myself? Or what am I trying to buffer? Or what am I trying to avoid? So no matter what it is, I removed whether anyone else told me it was good or bad. It was, how does it make me feel? Does it put me in alignment with the way I want to feel? And if it doesn't, how far off does it take me? And can I accept that? And if I can accept that, it's my life. I'm good with it, right? I still have, I'll still drink alcohol sometimes. ta does not touch alcohol. He's never, it's never been his jam, but you give me a nice mezcal man and I'm all in a good tequila. Yes. But again, not mindless drinking. I don't sit and throw back a beer. Right. And, and not to say that I wouldn't, it just, because it's not, not about the buzz and I'll a good craft beer. Sure. Maybe. 
But again, it if you really dial it back to intention and what am I trying to either buffer, avoid, or not feel, then the only rule I have is if I feel like I need it, it's no. Because then that's where I know there's something else inside of me that well, is- Well, it's good enough that I like how you're you're speaking of being tuned in enough to that to your body that you can just dis- determine between a need and a want too. I think sometimes yes. people can uh, I know I get confused with that all the time. You know, it's like, oh, I want this. Well, do I want it or need it? And sometimes I don't know the difference. Well, the thing is you you don't need anything except for oxygen for three days minimum. Water. So one of the things that honestly changed my life forever is I did a five-day fast, water only. Now, not recommended if, you know, whatever, lots of reasons. So please don't do this just because I said so. I'll, I'll give you other stupid shit you could do. So don't just try it just because I said it. But, you know, I, I was always told hypo that I had low blood sugar or whatever, hypoglycemic. And then something just from some of my ceremonies was like, you don't understand need and want. You think you need things that you don't need. And it creates a desperation in your survival. And so I got prompted to first do a three-day fast. And I had direction and I had a guide and a supporter and someone that's an expert of fasting because for a woman, there's a certain time in your cycle to do it. It's not ideal to do it all the time because your hormones can be negatively impacted. So you do need to have someone that knows what they're doing and with a, with a person with ovaries and a uterus. And so as I, the first thing I was told is get to 48 hours, no matter what. You're going, to, you're going to want to stop. Everything is going to want you to stop, but there is nothing in your system that's going to be detrimental for you. you and I had enough fat stores. There's, no, there's not going to be any reason for you to stop. Now call me, but I'm telling you, you're going to come up with every reason why you think you should because this isn't healthy for you. It's not good. All that's going to come in. So I said, okay. And they gave me a clear idea of what to expect and anticipate. And I'll tell you, there was this wall that I hit at like, I don't know, hour 18 that I was like, this is too much. This is dangerous. This isn't good. And there's three hours I wanted to quit bad. I was like, this can't be good with how terrible I feel. I I can't, what if I'm just trying to hurt myself? And you know, this, I'm working on self-love, but they told me all these things would happen. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to stick to it. I got through that three hour window. And after that, it was like a shell popped off on what I thought I need versus what need is. And it was like, I've never needed in my entire life. I have never been so hungry that I needed. I have wanted and I have felt need, but that actually really illuminated the depth of my privilege that I didn't know need. Even when I was out on my own at 17, working a full-time job, I was still a cute young girl that could still find a way to figure things out and that I never needed once in my entire life. Aside from love, but that's a different type of need. As far as survival, I had never needed. And once that model of the world, once that, once that belief or that construct kind of shattered, then it was like, oh, now I know the difference. Now I don't, I don't actually need anything. And not that I never struggle in the idea of need, but it's so much easier to detach from need when I recognize how often I said in my language, oh man, I need to do that. No, I don't. I want to do that. It's like uh, I, the way you're describing it. It's like the big, it's such a bigger chasm between want and need than I thought. Yep. You know, yep. uh, because I lived a very priv- 
privileged life. And like, I don't think I've ever, I don't know. I've never really needed, I guess. <laughs> but I'm this, curious. This is Cole, the reality. I'm kind of curious about your experience with the the fast. I, I, we've talked about it a couple of times on here. I, I, I've done that in the past and, and I never had like a, I did it because I want to see if I could do it. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I'm, I, 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 I'd love to hear about your experience. I, I, what I'm asking is, did you fantasize about food? So, oh, so what happened with me? Desperate. Like I still to this day wish extra gum would bring back the mint chocolate chip flavored gum and the uh, American apple pie flavored gum and the lemon meringue pie flavored gum that they used to have because that's what like so when I did mine it was uh, I think I've talked about it on the podcast it was five days it was just water only and I just kind of just. For me, it was like a willpower kind of deal. Mm-hmm. But what I found out is almost exactly what you're talking about with that concept between want and need. Like I found that instead of having sexual fantasies, instead of wanting to, um, you know, masturbate or something like that, I was fantasizing about food. Like I was, I was fantasizing about different foods I could eat or times that I've eaten food in the past and like the different, like I remember having a real big like barbecued ribs kind of fantasy that I was like almost like a sexual fantasy with barbecued ribs. And so I'm curious, like I, I know like lessons were reading very serious and all that kind of stuff, but like lessons learned also don't have to be deeply serious. For me, it was the thing of like, oh, you can fantasize about the thing that maybe you're feeling starved for. Right? Exactly. Yeah. For me, that's when I'm, when I say I'm hungry. That's mm. because I am hungry for something. I'm not starving for food. I'm either starving for love, attention, significance, connection, which is different. There's very few people in the United States that are starving. There might be people that are hungry, and and there's certainly communities where there are people that don't have enough food. Certainly, um, but I would say, you know, as far as the demographics that us three can relate to, we don't know many people that were starving for food. Even in where I lived, the kids that didn't have food would go, we'd go to each other's houses. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there was still someone to provide within the community enough um, versus other areas. And so as I went through it, the thing that changed the most for me was my mood around meals. Cause I used to say, I'm getting hungry and I would get hangry. Hangry. I would get eliminated hangry, didn't it? Absolutely. Because mm-hmm. the thing was, what I recognized was at some point in my childhood, I associated probably as a baby that having a temper tantrum, having a tantrum got a result. So Mm -hmm. my body got a habit of throwing a tantrum, hormone change, state change. I need food now. I don't. I was eating foods that caused blood sugar collapse. And so my body was like, I need food to get more sugar. Because I I grew up eating like simple carbs, straight milk, cereal, macaroni and cheese in your body, that all turns into sugar. So it's a a hard up and then a hard down, which means I need food now or else. I was one of those. And the fasting changed that forever because now it doesn't affect my mood at all. Like it broke it. It broke that pattern because it didn't work. And trust and believe you want to really see some parts of yourself and your self-control. Fasting is a thing, man, because it You'll come up with all the reasons why, well, that's good enough. Oh, it's been 24 hours. Oh, it's been 48 hours, right? Now, I only went to five days once. After I got to five days, the next time I made it to three and my body was like, no, I'm done. And it wasn't a mind thing. 
it was like, nope, this is all that we need. If we go beyond this, it will be detrimental to my body. So I stopped. Mm. But again, until I explored the difference, until I knew the nuance between here and here, most people don't because they haven't explored edges to show them the difference. So they'll say, no, look, my body, my body's telling me this, but it is a instinct, not intuition. So for me, instinct is conditioning and experiences. So it's the past creates instinct. So I was taught. So if my instinct is, no, I need to eat right now. And I'll tell you, it's my intuition. I feel like it's time. I don't know the difference until I don't eat. And I learn the difference between my body needs some replenishment, but it could be water. How many people think they need food when they're actually in need of water? So couldn't agree more. Yeah. And so until I explored things in different ways, so yes, I explored through psychedelics. I also explored through ice baths. Maybe food isn't an edge for one person, but cold sure is. And so two minutes in an ice bath could be as hard to confront as another person fasting for three days. So I faced the cold. Why? Because there's no true detriment to me. It was more recognizing the resistance And it was like, that's interesting. I really hate that idea. (laughs) So (laughs) instead of going, oh no, that's not me. I'm adhering to an identity. And I go, it's two minutes in ice. Just do it. And the whole time before I get in, now I'll do five minutes. But the whole time before getting in, I'm like, nope, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. And I still get in anyway. Those moments before getting into like a cold shower or a cold bath, like... (laughs) I just like, literally I talk to myself and I'll be like, I'm, I'm only going to do one minute. I'll go, I know. And I still get in and then it'll be like, all right, it's almost a minute. I know. And I literally talk mm. to my different selves and it's just like, I know oh, it does suck. And you know, I'll stay. I, I love, I love this notion of talking to your different selves and almost parts Same. of your body. I mean, I mean, mm-hmm. speaking of Aubrey Marcus, I heard about this on an Aubrey Marcus podcast, but through like sexual, uh, sexuality, talking to your cock or your pussy or, and as a, as a different being. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I was trying to think of a different word than cock, but I, penis, I don't know. <laughs> I know you, like, went, you went all the way, dude. I love it. Went. Like, yeah. As soon as well, we I, did, the only in. I don't, I don't like any of the words, dick, penis, co- I'm just, cock. I'm just, How about ding dong? Ding dong. <laughs> How about Charlie Brown's? I'll, I'll just go uh, <laughs> ding dong. Magic stick. I don't. Yeah. No, magic like, stick. Try it. I mean, it might seem silly at first, but try it and you'll see that it does have like a, a will of its own, a mind of its own. And, you know, people dealing with impotence and or other sexual dysfunction, um, instead of like never, popping a pill. Oh, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I have never worked with anyone that, for, so from a, um, a person with a uterus and ovaries hmm. that does not have a relationship with their entire sex organ area, if you don't learn what consent is to that body part, it turns into urinary tract infections, yeast infections, and does not allow anything to penetrate in. So it's very, very tight because it's literally not getting consent from the body. The body is not ready. So there's a difference between mind intellect and brain intellect. Mind intellect is the consciousness we're all connected to. Brain is the millions of habits that make my fingers move, that make my body contract if I hear a certain noise, instinct. And so if I'm, say for example, I'm married, which I am, 
there was a point that my deepest, some deep, not deepest, but some deep sexual traumas came up and I tried to rationalize, yeah, but it's Ta and I feel safe with him and having sex with him anyway, urinary tract infection within 12 hours. Hmm. Why? I did not honor that my body said no because I felt, but I'm trying to rationalize out of it. So my body's pissed at me. It's just like you, you along with the rest of the world is not getting permission to ask how I feel about it. And so I had to do deeper work in speaking to my different body parts to reconcile with my body parts, to even apologize. We have something called the naked truth. I'll give you a link to it where you literally read questions to yourself in the mirror and you write down your answers and then you take all your clothes off and face yourself in the mirror and you will see, you'll get these weird twinges just as wow. you talk because yeah. now you can't hide from mm-hmm. you. And so we call it the naked truth because you just ask yourself your thoughts around certain beliefs and you'll see all of a sudden you'll like <laughs> get a little uncomfortable. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, I'm stretching around here trying to just like feel about it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like, a thing. So when I was talking to my ding dong, <laughs> you know, you can I would just try, like, dude, Mike, you can say cock or dick or penis or whatever. I, well, I'm going to switch dong it up. To me, it's funny. I, I thought ding dong was funny to say in the moment. You don't need to call it ding dong. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to switch it up. I'm going to call it my cock and ding dong, whatever, but you there can you talk go. to it and you can see how it responds by like going different ways. Like it will grow or like shrink or like, like almost like a, this yes or no thing with it. And what I was learning is like, Oh, you, you want to touch me whenever you want to get off. But like, what about just like, yeah, I don't know. It's almost like watching Netflix. <laughs> yeah. What about just cuddling Mike? Yeah, can we cuddle? Right. <laughs> uh, there are lots of things I was learning from him, but, um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but and it I, might you know, be yeah. true though. Like even in working with men, cause I've, I've worked with a lot of, um, entrepreneurs that are like seven to eight figure built big businesses that have problems once they get in the bedroom because they get performance anxiety because they are driven by performance. But the problem is the more you're up in your head up here, you're not connected to your body. And so for us, yeah. erectile dysfunction we're saying no, it's because you're you're up in this head. You're not in your body. You're, so you're it's performing. Not you're performing a sex act. And right. you know, um, and yeah. Anyway, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but I was just that it's uh, just getting excited about this. <laughs> and so this has been the work that I've obsessed about is body mapping. Because honestly, the when you start to really understand that your body speaks a language and you can start to work with it, at first, it'll teach you about what to avoid to stay safe. Then it starts to teach you about, it'll actually start to guide you towards the things that you want. But you have to first learn the survival mechanisms. And then after you've got that, then you can start actually telling your body what you want. And then you walk into a party or you walk into the store and you're like, oh, I don't know why, but my body wants to go that way. And then you run into someone you haven't seen in 10 years. That's my life now. Ta and I will be walking down the street in Austin and I'll go, my body wants to go in there. He doesn't ask why. He goes, okay. And inevitably it leads us to something because now I've spoken to my body where I'm like, all right, team, all the cells, all of the microbiome, all of the intelligence that's come from all over the world. Here, we're all working in this direction. We're clear in our intention. I'm listening. So if anyone 
anything within this physical body has a ping, we need to go that way. Just signal the troops. I'm listening. I'm paying attention. Let's go. And so for me, that's the difference. When you start to shift out of plant medicine, so there's a period of working with plants and fungi as medicine. And then there's a point when you're no longer a patient of the work and they're no longer a doctor. They're a mentor. They're like your Yoda, right? Yoda wasn't a doctor to Luke. Yoda was the master teacher. And so when Luke came as a student and he was finally willing to be guided, then he got to finally get the Jedi magic, right? And so for me, there's an evolution after plant medicine where then they become master teachers. So now if I journey, there's I it comes in dreams and then it says, You need to journey, there's something we need to show you. I said, Yes, sir, I'll be there. I show it's like I'm getting a, you know, call for a meeting. And my intention now is what do I need to know, do, be, or understand for what I'm here to create and what I'm here to offer humanity. So it might be some of my own trauma. That's possible that, that some limiting belief is holding me back. But more often now, I'm getting fed strategies, how to post it on social media, how to write a blog post. Like I literally had it go in one of my journeys, go just tell people that if they're hearing the call to answer it. I'm like, what do you mean? <laughs> Would you say that? That was the psychedelic space program, Mike. That whole thing yeah, came yeah. from my 10 gram journey where it said, yeah. just tell people if you're hearing the call, answer it to be at this event. We had like yeah. 70 people there. Yeah, in, I heard the call and I answered. <laughs> right. Yeah. And there was no website. There was no copy. It was literally, I closed my eyes and said, show me. And people would pop into my head and I sent them a message. That's it. There was no website, copy page, whatever. And in, 21, in 2021, May 2021, to have 70 something people fly to be in a tiny event space was unheard of. Nobody was gathering in condensed rooms like that. Not in this way. Maybe in community ceremonial, you know, type things, but not in such a tight container for three long days of content. And so I was really shown that now is the time for, as far as integration, to take ancient technology and modern technology to help translate the divine articulation of these powerful teachers for those who cannot consume them through the, their mouth, but they can feel it. And when they hear the messages and when they hear the songs, that's why I'm so excited to start doing music because now we're looking at creating music, but in a way that's super grounded in hip hop and world music. Cause now I've met musicians from all over the world to be able to have Snow Raven and uh, Oliver Rajamani and my husband Ta and then all these incredible MCs to me is integration. And so it's like the most exciting that's it's so exciting. cool. Um, I have a question, uh, Cole. Like, like you were just talking, and, and it kind of brought up for me. I think that anybody listening to you talk is like, God damn, how could I ever get to where she's at? Like, like I, I, honestly, like the three of us sitting here chatting, it's pretty intimidating. Mm. But you did mention like there are times when perhaps like you know you're visiting through a dream, and it's like okay, you're you're listening to the call, you're listening to it's like almost scheduling a meeting. And the first thing that you said was like, okay, are there limited beliefs that I'm still maybe uh, dealing with? And then you, and then you mm-hmm. listed a couple other, we, are you, are you, would you be willing to share with us? Like maybe a limited belief that you're 100%. still in. Okay. Still, I was freaking suicidal three weeks ago. 
The idea that this work in consciousness separates you from the human experience Mm. is part of what gets people stuck. It's that I have increased my capacity to feel so much that even in those places, I do not doubt that I will be okay in the future. Mm. I can allow it. I don't fight it. I have support. I inform people that can support me, support around me. And this is, and thank you for saying that because it is something that I I do share publicly. I talk about on my podcast because the idea that there's some arrival point that if I do enough work, then the depression will go away. You'll be healed, healed. No, there, that is no, there is no such place as healed ever. You are in a consistent flux of healing. For me, I look at it as health is a continuum from ease to disease, and I'm looking at where am I headed on the continuum. That's it. The more stressed out I am, the more in disease. Stress is not a bad thing. Prolonged states of stress for too long, too much is the problem. Some stress actually keeps you healthy and keeps you so that you're resilient. And so the difference is now I'm actually not concerned even when it feels overwhelming, I have different coping mechanisms. I don't go to substances or alcohol. I haven't journeyed since being in Peru in October of 2021. Oh, wow. So a year, almost a year and a half. Because I got a very clear message to stay out of the realms. So I follow that. It was like, stay out of the realms. I said, yes, sir, done. But I've been in this work for 16 years. I had times it was every month, but that's because there was a lot to unpack and it was only giving me one thing at a time so that I could unpack it and I would apply it one thing at a time. That was the deal. You come, I give you the next step and the next step. That's what I followed. I, and I would not, I would stay really focused with each assignment that I got from these. Cause for me, they were assignments. Hey, you need to talk to your mom. Ah, oh, crap. Okay. And I would do it within the week. And so I'd come up with a plan. I would consult with people. So now what it looks like, Doug, is that like, for example, um, a month, it's probably been a month ago and we're at like January 20, whatever we are, 22nd or something. And so for me, I hadn't felt the depth of those suicidal ideations. And I used to do self-harm and all sorts of things in my teens where I decided that I would not kill myself. And that was a decision. And once that decision was made, all I really did was change the speed because then I just drank and had Ambien and I had a toxic lifestyle. So all I really did was change the speed because the truth was, well, the truth was I didn't believe I deserved to get let off that easy. My deeper story was I deserved to suffer on a cellular level. And I finally got a ping in a ceremony that was like, you actually hate yourself so much that you're trying to cause leukemia to die from the inside out because that's what you think you deserve. And I was all, oh shit. I I thought I just hated myself like everybody hates themselves, but that is some other stuff. So I had to unpack that because I was actually diminishing where my mental health really was. Cause I was like, yeah, everybody's suffering. But the deeper layers for me was I was trying to, like, I literally thought that I should suffer until I died. Not, I did not that I even deserved a, I actually saw that as like a noble end that someone that loves themselves 
would kill themselves quickly versus what I was doing. Hmm. Someone that actually had some compassion left for themselves to not suffer anymore. And so I hadn't reached that depth in, we'll say, well, maybe not 20 years, but since 2007, probably is the last time I felt some of these feelings. And the thing was, it sucks not to get it twisted, but I also recognized that it felt like I was getting to the bottom of the next layer because I'm actually safe enough to face those deeper um, demons within myself. And as I've gotten safer and expanded my tools, then it's more like the deeper muck has been able to come up to be addressed because I have the support for them to, you know, and I've had to deepen my spiritual practices. I have a curandera down in Ecuador who I've had to do work because in, in being a facilitator, you also get people who think that you're the devil, you're out to kill them, whatever, just like you can potentially help someone they will also believe that you are to blame and you are at fault. And so I also experienced what I'd never experienced before as a um, curse of sorts. And it's not that I didn't believe in it. I just never experienced it. And in experiencing it, I had a person that who literally intentionally created a hex against me to feel what they felt, to suffer the way that they suffered. And I did. And the thing was, as I was in meditation, I was like, none of my tools are working. Nothing is helping. I don't know what else to do. And then I was shown her face. And so I called her the next day. I said, I need help. And, you know, and I've got the greatest husband in the world. I have all the support I could ever possibly need, but I knew it wasn't that. I was like, this is some different stuff. I have not experienced this before. And anyone that doesn't believe that black magic, you see it in the jungle between ayahuasqueros. It's a very real thing that I hope most people never experience. And in reaching out to her, I didn't tell her anything about the experience. And she came into my field that night. She explained to the person in detail that she saw hovering over me who had intentionally gathered other people to basically send prayers of harm my way, that they wanted me to lose everything. That's something that they were wishing. And we could call that prayer. We could call that a spell, whatever you want to call it. Curses, hexes, all those things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whatever. If you can pray for someone's healing, you think you can't pray for their harm. Oh yeah. And so in doing work with her, it, she's like, you know, this is to also show Cole that you and Ta are stepping out into the world in a bigger container and the tools that got you here aren't going to hold when you put yourself out there with other big entities and energies that do not want you to do the work that you're doing. And it was a huge healing aspect for me too, because people that I've worked with to actually have them join in prayer and send their ancestors to my bedside to shift, remove, hide, secure, safe. Like I followed a prescription of sorts that she gave me of herbs to bathe in, um, things to do. And I did them. And I, I don't know if anyone tracks their sleep, but at that point I was, I was getting like 23 sleep scores for like months and nothing was helping. And when she gave me some of the prayers and things to do, because this is her lineage, um, by my third night, I got a 78 sleep score. And the second night she helped do a cloaking to hide my energy 
to, from this attack, then that was the first time my watch had ever said no data. Didn't even show that I, that I slept or any information at all. And so in this work, we can sit and say, it's all about your personal healing, but a lot of people don't know what they're getting themselves into. And so they go to parties where there's lots of different substances. I don't just see it as one master teacher. You are opening dimensions and other doorways that you don't know what you're doing. And I've got friends now who have been doing like friend journeys for the past few years where one person's doing MDMA, one's on mushrooms, one's DMT. Ooh, that's tough. <laughs> well, they're all different substances in the safe yeah. in a, in the same yeah. space. But when you have a close, intimate connection, you're all open to each other. When you're out with people in more of like a festival vibe, you have a different container because yeah. you know that's the energy. But when you're in a closed space, you actually don't know all of the the doors and things that you're opening. And so I tell someone, if you suddenly can't sleep, if you're suddenly having nightmares, if you have a restlessness, anxiety, depression, and it's sudden, it is possible you brought something with you. Mm. And it's not just an emotional thing stirring under the surface. Could be. But again, this is why having teachers that are elders in other traditions who understand these things that we're not taught culturally, because many of us got severed from this in our cultures. Most of the majority of my lineage comes from Germany. The areas I come from were witches and botanists and people that worked with hallucinogenic brews, but I am severed from that magic and that tradition. And so this is where it's important for us to learn from different elders and to go be with them and work with them to understand it a little bit deeper. Now, if you're just going to hang out and play in two grams or less, then you're probably not going to open anything. But I think there's a lot less risk when you're under five grams. So for me, when you hit seven and higher and DMT, often those are taking you to whole other levels of consciousness that if you don't know what you're doing, you don't know what you're bringing back. And you don't know how to protect the other people around you um, there's certain shamanic practices of why people make a mesa, why there's a lit candle. And we can say that it's all woo-woo, but I assure you, once you hit another fall into grace, <laughs> I keep finding new levels. It's great. Never ending. Um, well, cool. I feel like, I mean, we started out talking about like going through a doorway and into a portal and through yeah. a, a sphincter or an asshole. But like, <laughs> I feel like we did. And now I've entered this whole new like narnia world and you're you're just like uh, yeah i'm just i've just been enchanted this whole time but i do love just hit on something you said about those dark feelings i mean doug you know i was in a like as a result of this ceremony i did i think i did open some sort of portals i was in a really dark place like uh yeah awful um and uh what helped and i love the visual you were giving of like having a container to fill the deeper levels. What helped is because it felt hopeless. It felt meaninglessness. Um, mm -hmm. But then I was like, oh, instead of being, it's not hopeless. I just feel hopeless. Correct. And I can allow myself to feel all the hopelessness I want to feel in a safe space to feel it. Or it doesn't, it's not like life is meaningless. I just feel meaningless right now. Right. And I don't know. That just helped. And, and having people, safe people to, to talk through that with and integrate 
I mean, it's just bringing up again, like, I'm so glad I've had a good therapist and good friends and, and a support network within that ceremony to integrate the portals that were open there because mm-hmm. me alone, I would not have been able, I would not have been equipped to deal with those energies, but 100%. Um, yeah. That's why I'm so passionate now about training psychedelic informed coaches because there's so many people that don't know. They don't know that actually all you need to do right now is go put on comedy up on Netflix and you have full permission this whole week to Netflix and chill when you're not at work and take space and know that, yes, it feels hopeless, but you can tell me you feel hopeless because I know we've we've already talked and we have mutual consent that at your core, you know, it's going to be okay. You just don't feel okay right now. So let's work with the part that's not okay without having to call or send you to a clinic because we don't know what to do with you. This is the problem is we keep, when someone gets into a dark place, no one knows what to do. So they think, well, I'll just send them to a professional. But then there's a shame complex when you send someone away. I am so grateful that I have literally gone through psychosis breaks with my husband holding me where I, where he keeps me safe so that I don't hurt myself or him. And it lasts about two minutes. Now it's been years since this happened now. But to know that I've had full psychosis, that if it would have been a different time, I would have been put into a hospital, highly medicated. And once you medicate someone on that level, it's a year to get them back off of lithium and some of those substances. And I'm not saying don't do it. I'm just saying what it is. And just because I had someone there to physically hold me, it lasted for like three to four minutes and then it was over. And then I slept and I just needed good food. I just needed to know I was loved and there was nothing to do. By the time we take someone to a hospital, they've already reset. I just see it as a nervous system reset. It's a, they spilled over. There was a tipping point. And the only way for the body to survive was to completely crack. And the beautiful thing is once it resets, if, they, if someone has a safe place to land, their body just needs to rest and they need water and nutrients, Mm. they're not a risk after that. And the problem is when we put someone in a hospital, then they have to tell everyone I was hospitalized because there's something wrong with me versus I've been in an environment that was not for me, that I didn't know how to navigate, that I didn't have tools, that I didn't have a therapist, that I, uh, even if people really cared, I didn't have resource. There used to be a mental health facility in San Francisco. I can't remember what it was called. I had the woman on my podcast years ago and people would go there just to go through psychosis, but they didn't medicate them unless the person asked and they would never talk about the person without them in the room with their family or what decisions would be made. And so they just came up with agreements and this is what made Ta... And I facilitate the way that we did is we didn't turn someone away because of a mental health history. We wanted to know, okay, when you Hmm. go through psychosis, what does it look like? What happens? What do you do? What would you need? What would you like to do? How can we facilitate that? We've helped people through psychosis or after, and their recovery was a week. And then they felt incredible and we didn't have to get them off medications but if they, most people, it's because they don't really want to hurt anyone or themselves. And so when they go through that spillover, dissociative, whatever happens where they leave, but they're, you know, their body's reacting, 
we had conversations of, okay, so if that was to happen, what can we do? And people, every time they've told us what we could do and we handled it exactly like they told us. They were just like, just remind me that I'm safe or step away from me. I'm not feeling safe. Or we've been able to talk through it because ultimately it's the body doesn't feel safe. So it's getting big energy to protect itself. And so we have to think differently in how we diagnose and treat. And this is why for me, having more psychedelic informed coaches is not about more facilitators. It's helping to teach me people more tools so that if someone's in a challenging place, like you're talking about, Mike, it's a coach to say, yeah, tell me about it. Well, yeah, I feel like hurting myself and I feel like this. And the coach is not, you know, weak. I can say, so do you, do you feel like you're going to hurt yourself? Does that feel like something you're, are you planning it or is, does it feel that way? And you're like, it feels that way. And then I can go, okay, go on. Well, and I'm feel, I think I want to do this and I feel like this, but we've already come to an agreement that it's not what you truly believe. It's how you're feeling. And so by us, just get letting for me, when we can let the energy out, I'm just holding space for your thoughts. I'm not here to fix them or change Hmm. them. But by you getting to that point and being heard without judgment or someone panicking, like, man, Mike's losing it. So people hold it in because I don't want to scare anyone. And I know I actually am okay. So I'm not going to say that I had this image of hurting myself. And we Mormons are are good good at holding it in. And and not for nothing, I'm grateful I learned it because in my teens, I would have been hospitalized and I wouldn't be the person that I am. But I saw other kids get sent away and I saw how they came back and they came back worse. They came back far more traumatized and I don't know what happened at the centers they got sent away to, but I knew whatever happened, I wasn't going there. Y'all are making me think of a, is it cool if I tell a story real quick? Please, Doug. Like a Mm -hmm. mythology story. Is that cool? Yes. (laughs) It's been on my mind lately and y'all are making me think about it for a second. So I kind of want to talk real quick, um, you know, Thoth. I've never said his, I don't know. I don't know how to say his name. He's Egyptian God. It's, it's spelled T-H-O-T-H. Thoth. Yeah. I think I've only Thoth. ever read his name. So Thoth is like, he's like Mercury or Hermes or uh, he's got a little bit of Jesus vibe to him. He's like Egyptian kind of kind of guy. Right? He's also got oh. Gemini vibe, Doug. That's uh, your son. You're damn right. He does. That's right. I'm a, Ge- I'm a double Gemini. I'm Gemini moon and sun. So, um, you know, Ra, uh, you know, creates all this shit going on and then he's kind of bored. So he creates some other gods and then he's kind of bored of that. So he creates humans and he's like, these fucking humans are dumb as shit. Like I need to create the goddess of destruction. And so he creates, uh, Sekhmet and he's like, Sekhmet, you're the goddess of destruction. Go destroy all these humans. And she's like on it. And people will know who Sekhmet is because she's that badass Egyptian goddess who's got like the lion head and the fucking cool wings and the like woman body and all that. So we she's- started the, this conversation talking about a woman with a lion head. <laughs> I know. That's what I'm- I can't believe I'm talking about this shit. It's weird. Like life is weird is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So anyway, Sekhmet goes down. She starts destroying everything. Like she's like, she's like getting like- Thirsty for more human blood, more human destruction. She's like destroying all the humans and everybody's terrified of her. And she's the goddess of destruction and blah, blah, blah. Well, Thoth is like, okay, time out. <laughs> like, this is not sustainable. And he goes down, like, you know, he's like the god of wisdom and like kind of 
he's a little bit of a trickster and he's also the God of like being kind and that kind of thing. So he goes down to segment. He's like, Hey, um, you want to get drunk together? And she's like, first of all, no. Second of all, I don't know what that means. Cause no one has ever invented uh, the concept of getting drunk yet. Like we're Egyptian gods, dipshit. <laughs> and he's like, well, good, good news for you on both counts. I invented a beer and also Sekhmet. <laughs> I have put red food coloring in this beer. So it looks like blood. So now do you want to get drunk with me? And she's like, I absolutely want to get drunk with you. So Thoth and Sekhmet get shit face drunk. And, you know, Ra's up there doing raw things. And he's like making sure everybody's like, you know, worshiping him. And everybody's like, why aren't there more humans being destroyed? Is Sekhmet drunk? And Thoth is sitting there with Sekhmet, Sekhmet. And he's like, listen, girl. Being the goddess of destruction is way super badass and cool. And you have a cool body and a cool head. And those wings are no joke. But being the goddess of destruction is sort of like unsustainable. And you're going to run out of things to destroy. And then you're going to be like useless. And she's like, oh, dude, that's true. Shit. What do I do? He's like, instead of being the goddess of destruction, what if you become the goddess of healing? Same thing, only the healing part is this perpetual thing that you can uh, you can do ad infinity. You can do it for in, for eternity, and it's the same sort of concept. And she's like, "Oh, yeah, that's a really good point, Thoth. Thank you for always being wise and having like some reasonable things to say. I also have a hangover, but tomorrow when I'm no longer hungover and kind of shit faced." I'm going to become the goddess of healing instead of the goddess of destruction. And so oh, the, the, so she sobered up. I was worried about her. Did she consent to something that like she was drunk? Oh, no, they didn't do anything weird, man. Thoth is like, listen, I'm really super respectful of your boundaries and consent is important to me because I'm Thoth and I got yeah. the head of a bird. And so she's like, she wakes up the next morning and she's like, oh, shit, you know what? I think I am going to be the goddess of healing from now on. And so the saying goes like that you have to first go through destruction on your road to healing. And for some reason, the way that the two of you are talking about uh, some of the recent and Cole for you, maybe a little bit more ancient, some of the ancient destruction that y'all feel f- you're staring down the barrel of some of the fate, the, the mm-hmm. destruction that you're faced with. And for anybody listening out there, some of the destruction that we feel obligated to is also part of finding the goddess of healing. And by the way, Sekhmet is really cool and really badass, and she's the goddess of healing now. But she started out as this bloodthirsty, badass mm-hmm. goddess of destroying everything. Yeah. Damn. So I think it's kind of like fucking cool that we we probably sometimes feel a little bit like both versions of Sekhmet. But maybe it's okay to find our own Thoths. You know, mm. uh, Cole, you've talked about Ta holding you. Mike, you've talked about friends and and therapists and confidants who have been part of that process for you. I have my and, own. I have my ancestors, own I will say. What? And ancestors, I'll say. And ancestors, yeah, yeah. for sure. They're all in they're all in the mix, man. What are you talking I'm about? Still, I'm all still more in the mix too. there. I just want to mix it up. Yeah. Go. <laughs> but they they but they are representing the better angels of our nature. They're representing that Thoth thing that I I also, if I'm butchering these names, I don't know how to say Egyptian names, people. I've only read them in books, so I don't fucking know. No one's fact checking this podcast. You're good. Maybe they are, but (laughs) the story of Thoth is a badass story, right? Oh, Doug, I I could hear you tell mythology all day. 
I know. I, I, I have a good way of telling mythology stories. Yeah, and plus, it's like my favorite topic. So I love like dropping one once in a while. Yeah, actually, yeah. I love that you're telling that story because part of yeah. what came out for me in 2021 was Bastet, who is of, of relation. Oh, my to God. Sakmet, so. Holy shit, girl, that thing is. So this has a crystal Wait, hold on, on it. Um, this crystal is made yeah. uh, by one of the families down in Peru I work with. It's got a condor. Uh, I told you I got I got all the fan like all the fancy fun. I got water that was preyed on from Ama. I got all sorts of fancy stuff over here. And then yeah. obviously, and back well, not obviously because oh, you can't yeah. really see it, but I also have a baby Yoda Grogu over there. I got all sorts of <laughs> ancient technologies. <laughs> and I'm glad that. I'm glad Grogu. I mean, Grogu is the divine child is reborn now. So, like, uh, and I've got my dog cupcake yeah. on my lap. Um, Not cupcake. My dog cupcake. Not cupcake. Oh, hello, cupcake. Who's had to pee for a while? But you know, we're all just hmm. working it out over here. Let's do Cole, some plugs. Let's do some. Yeah, let's, let's t- plug this. Listen, yeah. Cole, really the purpose for people listening to this podcast is to track you down. Like that's quite frankly, like people are like, okay, Mike and Doug, we get it. But Cole, how could people track you down? Yeah, what do you I got mean, going? You What's know, I've, cool? I've been talking about it on this podcast. I'm most passionate about two things. One, increasing accessibility to integration support. Not everyone has a community like we do, y'all. You know, it's just not a thing. And so- Launching in February, two things. One, uh, we have an integration workbook we're putting up on Amazon. We're only going to charge whatever Amazon charges for it. So whatever our cost is, is what we'll charge. I guess it'll be between $10 and $13 um, so that people can start to learn how to learn the language of their body because that really is the key for me. Um, and then the other thing is, um, that will lead people to a free course, free coaching. I mean, it's a massive amount of, they'd never have to pay for support if they didn't want to. Um, and then where we're really doubling down is training more psychedelic informed coaches. What that means, I'm not teaching you how to give substances or amounts or anything like that. I'm teaching you how to be a great coach so that you could step forward now full time so that those who are already working with these master teachers have someone to turn to whether they're preparing or after the fact. And so we call it psychedelic informed coaching. So we're going to teach you how to build, be a great coach and how to take your unique lived experience, your unique gifts and turn it into an offer to coach other people in, but you do it along what we call the condor approach, which is a workbook. And that workbook can make anyone be able to support pretty much anyone, but we want to help. We want to help people identify who they can help in the most impactful way right now without waiting for top-down support or legality. So we're not teaching facilitation. We're teaching you how to be a psychedelic informed coach so that we can answer the call because there's not enough support now as it is. And it's only increasing and it takes four years for a therapist to get licensed, not including, you know, the financial, um, aspects. So I'm passionate about getting more coaches out there. So for people that know they are destined to be in this work, they know they love human behavior. They're obsessed with why do people do things the way they do? They love that like Sherlock Holmes approach to, translating the body's language and creating plans with people. Like, you know, if you're into that kind of thing, that's who I'm really talking to is like, why, what does that emotion mean? What is it leading to? That is for me who a psychedelic informed coach is. And 
We actually teach how to use AI to write content, how to use it for your marketing so that you can attract the people you can actually support and you don't waste time trying to learn how to be a good marketer. We want you to focus on being great at delivery and how you can use AI as a tool to get those that you can serve, how they can find you. So you can find me on Instagram. It's Miss Nicole. Um, If you go to condorcoach.com, you can read more. We have an event coming up in Utah in March. Well, we have one in February, but it might be too soon. We have one in Utah in March, like March 22nd, 27th to the 31st. It's five days of immersion, 90 days of follow-up care. And really for me, if someone's feeling called, I just want them to call me. If you go to learnmore.coach, that takes you right to my Calendly. You can book a call with me. I'll give people $250 off for coming through from y'all as like a gratitude. All they have to do is put they came through the podcast. And I want to talk to you, Uh, anyone that feels called, but they don't know if it's a fit for them. So let's see if it is. And I'm not here to sell you. I'm here to share so you can help more people. If that sounds good to you, party, let's go. If it doesn't, word it was nice to meet you, but then don't book a call with me because I got shit to do people. <laughs> Holy shit, that's so good. So I want to slow clap after that. Um, but I do want to also say that it's perfect timing because that event or that, that uh, the training you're doing in Utah is uh, leading right up so to Mormon Palooza. Um, I actually moved my dates so, up a day that's perfect so that timing, it did huh? not fall on Mormon Palooza because it was supposed to end on the first. So I shifted mine one oh. day forward so that it people could come do both. And I assure you, you will learn. I have therapists that say they learned more about human behavior and integration than all their years in psychedelics or from any schooling or clinical experience. Because mushrooms told me all, I'm not, I mean, I'm making this shit up. I say I'm making it up, but really this is what we are here to do. And we get the gift of how to translate it. So if you want to save 16 years and get to where I am in two versus 16, this would be the way. Well, we'll put all those links in the show notes so people can find you. And then, yeah. So, uh, find you there in, in Salt Lake that week. Leading up to Mormon Palooza and the Utah, I should say, us also the Mormon Psychedelic Summit that are. I plan all the things. Apparently, that's right. We got. It's going to be the week of. I mean, that's like the week of dreams, right? Best like that's week the ever. Best. Yeah, we should call it week of dreams. Yeah. <laughs> love y'all, Nicole. I love you, girl. This has been, yeah. I mean, so good, and uh, I just, I want to like take everything in your brain and just like put it in my brain. <laughs> like, honestly, same. It's so, it's such a trip. Like, it's like, okay, girl, just download this straight. Well, into honestly, my that soul, is my please. focus over this last year. Anyone that's following AI, all I'm doing is getting everything out of here. And this is just what's in mind. What's in Taz is like interdimensional other stuff that my part-time job is being the translator because he downloads some whole other stuff that takes time to digest. But this is, Oh, we need to get Ta in here too sometime. Cause yeah, honestly, I we should. I've, I've I've met Ta one time. You know, I met him at the at the thing, and God damn, I'm just gonna man okay, crush on you, him Ta. the whole time. But you know, yeah. that, it'll be fine. He he's got a whole other level, and he was, he's been a nurse for 31 years, and at 51, he looks younger than he did in his 30s. Like it's insane when you do this work and you do it intentionally, like. We want more people to, we want to have elders in the future. And with our current health situation, we're not going to have them. 
So we need everyone to get their shit together and learn their body's language so that we have elders to be around for this next evolution for humanity. Because as it's running right now, y'all, people are dying for what they believe in. I need y'all to be brave enough to stand up and live for it so that we get people to 120 years old with this technology and what we've all learned through our exploration to pass it on to our children because so many of us were completely severed from our tradition. We are writing a new tradition now, uh, which means we need people around to tell the tales before there was computers or at least before there was cell phones when we had to like call on a party line, you know? I, I'm, I'm old enough to know that shit. <laughs> okay, right. you too. I love you. Love you, y'all. Thank you so right. much. Bye.